0: The Brian McClanahan Show, episode 246. It's time to think locally and act locally. Welcome to The Brian McClanahan Show. Welcome back to The Brian McClanahan Show. Glad to have you back in the program. Very glad to be here. Don't forget to follow me on Twitter, at Brian BrianMcLanahan. Like my Facebook page at Brian McClanahan, and of course subscribe to my YouTube page at Brian McClanahan. If you don't want to search for all those things on your own, just go to my webpage, Brian McClanahan, that's B-R-I-O-N McClanahan.com. At the top of the page, you'll find all my social media buttons. While you're there, give me an email address and I will give you a free ebook, Forgotten Founders, and a free audio book of the same title, read by yours truly. That'll get you on my email list. It'll also get you access to McClanahan Academy, which is the best way to support the Brian McClanahan show. Uh, Eventually, you'll get an invitation to that uh, website. But you can go to mclanahanacademy.com on your own, sign up, and you'll get a free course, 10 Myths of American History. And, of course, those that do sign up do get the best deals on forthcoming courses. I've got one coming out in just a couple of weeks. But you can pre-order that for a discount. So if you are on McClanahan Academy, you already know about this. But uh, if you're not there, swing on over to McClanahan Academy, sign up, get on the email list there you'll get the discount in the in an email so uh, you're going to want to do that because when the course comes out most of the discounts go away so um, you're going to want to uh, to do that and of course that supports the show helps keep the podcast going help keeps the light on lights on you can also support the show by going to BrianMcClanahan.com forward slash support you can throw a few pennies my way or bucks or whatever you got and you can also buy your book plates there for uh, your brian McClanahan authored books so Going out and do that. If you click on that Shop tab at the top of the page for BrianMcClanahan.com, you can buy your Brian McClanahan Show logo on all kinds of apparel and materials. So it's a great way to support the show and advertise it at the same time. And you can always go to learntrue, True, T-R-U-E, LearnTrueHistory.com. That's my affiliate link for Tom Woods Liberty Classroom. Great website, lot of bang for your buck. History, philosophy, economics. It's not just a history site, uh, but you do get other courses there. And, of course, I do teach there with Tom and Kevin Goodsman, Brad Berzer, Jason Jewell, Bob Murphy. Great website. And, of course, if you do like this podcast, share it around on social media and rate it, review it on Apple Podcasts, wherever you get your podcasts. That way more people see it and it does help spread the word. So, all that said, all my typical stuff leading off, let's talk about something that's in the news now. and I th- And I want to put this in context because I think it's important. And this has to do with the quote-unquote squad and the feud between Donald Trump now and the squad. And by the squad, I'm talking about four freshman members of Congress led by Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez, uh, also uh, Representative uh, Omar and Representative Tlaib, and I can't remember the other representative. It doesn't matter. The, the four don't really matter who they are, but the, the language they use matters. And I want to get into the language they use because, of course, if you've been under a rock and you don't know what's happened and you haven't followed any social media uh, and you haven't seen, uh, if, you're, if you're on Twitter and you're not following Donald Trump, you're really missing a treat because it's a lot of fun to follow Donald Trump. Just seeing what's going to happen next is a fun time. But Trump uh, essentially made comments that these people should go home. They should go back to where they came from. If they don't love America, go home. This is the same type of rhetoric that was used in the 1960s um people I mean don't realize that but th- this rhetoric was used in the 60s when you had the Vietnam era protesters and uh, Vietnam war protesters and uh it was um I think for a lot of people in my particular generation uh it was made famous by the film Born on the 4th of July which of course is a book um but uh it was it was made famous there because of a scene in the film which actually happened where uh, the uh, main character played by Tom Cruise uh, was at the Republican convention. And he, he said, you know, people uh, tell us to get out and we don't want to get out because we're Americans. We love our country, uh, etc. Cetera, et cetera. I'm paraphrasing what he said. But the fact is, this, this kind of language has been used before. Donald Trump is a baby boomer. He's familiar with how this language is used before. Uh, and it was used quite extensively in the 1960s into the 1970s. Now, it hasn't been used this way in a long time, though every now and then it does resurface. You know, somebody will say, well, if you don't like America, get out of America. Um, and uh, Trump, but all this, of course, has now been called racist. You can't say these things anymore because that's racist. Now, that's just the most idiotic, anti-intellectual, silly statement on the face of the, of the earth. I mean, there, there's nothing more, more silly than that. I mean, there's a lot, well, I could say there's lots more. But uh, in terms of criticizing the language it's not racist at all. Now, of course, the, the argument, is he pointed out, for women of color. Now, Donald Trump didn't point anybody out. He just said, look, if these people don't like America. Now, he started singling them out as they started attacking him. But before that, he didn't point anybody out. He just said, look, there are Democrats that don't like America. They can go home. They can go back to where they came from. Now, uh, they took great offense to this. Of course, Omar uh, is from Somalia. Now, she's a representative from Minnesota, but really from Somalia, and there's a lot of questionable things about her status to become a U.S. citizen and how she did that. But regardless, they took quite a uh, a lot of offense to this and said, this is racist. Now, I mean, how do we know Donald Trump wasn't talking about somebody from Britain or uh, Switzerland? I mean, who knows? He just said, if they don't like it, they can go home. Now, all of that said, I want to talk more about the reaction to this than the actual tweets themselves and the language used by Omar and Cortez in their press conference the other day. And I'm I'm going to try to get this to where we understand these things. So I don't want to focus on Trump and and all this this stuff, because I think some of that is just simply superfluous. It, It doesn't really matter. What really matters is how the progressives reacted to it. And not by calling it racist, because that can now be a game you play. How many times can the left say racist? Uh, how many times can they do this, and and can they out racist each other? How many? I mean, can I say racist to 50 times in a tweet where you only say it 25 times uh, on the on the uh, public broadcast can, on the on the news? Uh, can I say racist 600 times when you only say it 555 times? I mean, this is what it comes down to. This it's it's the most anti-intellectual argument we have today, and I think Americans are starting to finally see this. This is just stupid. We don't even know what that term means anymore. It has no meaning because the left has completely abused it and made it to where it's just a term that people start laughing at now. Uh, because they've heard it so many times. They've, they've weakened the use of it. So, anyways, um, we I want to talk about how they reacted to it because it shows that there still is a strain of American thought that goes all the way back to the 17th century. And the Puritans. Essentially, what we have in America today, and I'm going to talk about Cortez, and I'm going to talk about Omar. What we have in America today with the left, the progressives, these are political Puritans. They're political Puritans. On the other side, and and it's not just, I'll say this, it's not just the left, it's also the right, too. Donald Trump is also a political Puritan. Ronald Reagan, in many ways, was a political Puritan. On the other side, you have the orthodox politicos, like yours truly, that believe in federalism. And so, all the way back in the 17th century, you had the Puritans who wanted to purify the Church of England. It was not Protestant enough. It didn't go far enough. It never would go far enough. And so, uh, the Orthodox, the Orthodox Anglicans, which in many ways was also a form of Puritanism, because of course you're breaking away from the Church, so you're actually causing some of the problem there, but regardless, um, in this schism that was created. But the Orthodox Anglicans said, well, you're wrong. I mean, the the church is Protestant. It's Protestant enough. So um, you had the Orthodox Anglicans saying that you Puritans are just a bunch of uh, rabble-rousers. You're causing problems. And they were. So what did they do? They went over to Massachusetts. Puritans' whole congregations went to Massachusetts. And, of course, that's going to dramatically affect American society moving forward. And that's best exemplified by John Winthrop, as the uh, as the Puritans would say, John Winthrop, uh, John Winthrop's "City upon a Hill" sermon. It's actually not titled that. It's a it's a model of Christian charity is the uh, is the actual title of the sermon. He gave this sermon before either before the Puritans left, or um, on the on the uh, travel on the voyage over. But regardless. This, this phrase, city upon a hill, has been used by Ronald Reagan. It's been used by those on the right. Essentially, what you're saying is that there is an ideological predisposition for America. It is something that is uh, that is metaphysical, and that um, that metaphysical America is what we should all strive to be. That is dangerous. It's dangerous because it's not an actual America. It's a metaphysical America. It's a spiritual America. So let me explain how Cortez and Omar fit into this. So Omar stands up and uh, she makes a statement, and I'm going to I'm gonna read part of this statement because I don't have it all written down. But she makes a statement, we have to take action when a president is openly violating the oath he took to the Constitution of the United States and the core values we aspire to. The eyes of the history is sick watching us. She can't even speak. It's not even proper grammar. She didn't even know how to, that it, when she started reading this at the at the press conference, her little talk, she fumbled over what the words of the Declaration were. I mean, this is a person that really doesn't know anything about American history. She knows slogans and platitudes and chants. This is what the left has become. It's become a civic religion. It's a dogma. We know slogans. The United States, uh, we have this, all men are created equal, which we aspire to, but we don't really get there. Uh, we know that the Declaration is a core value and that Martin Luther King espoused a Declaration. I mean, they know slogans, plat. it's a civic religion. It's what it's become to them. And if you don't fit the civic religion, you are a heretic. And you have to be dealt with accordingly. What do I mean by that? That means you have to be eliminated politically, maybe even physically at some point. Who knows what these people are going to do? We know what happened in the, in the French Revolution. If you didn't meet their view of things... Uh, they eliminated you physically. But this is this is Hillary Clinton's basket of deplorables. This is what she meant by that. You have these deplorable people out there who don't fit our worldview. And they have to be eliminated. They have to be crushed. We have to embarrass them. We have to uh, go out there and uh, destroy them. Destroy their reputations. Destroy who they are. Get them fired. Whatever the case may be, we have to destroy these people. The reason they want Trump impeached is not because of anything he's actually done. And they, they come up with a whole bunch of stuff that really does I mean, it's not impeachable offenses. Because none of it has ever been proven anyways. The, the one thing they have is collusion with Russia, which uh, we know that didn't happen. But the fact is they come, hurtful words now are impeachable. They're impeachable to these people because they are political Puritans. Because if you say things that they don't like, that's heretical, that you can't say those things. And so let me explain how this has, this goes back to the Puritans. So I'm going to read part of this City Upon a Hill sermon. Um, And what these people say is that we have these ideals and if we don't live up to them, we are damned for all eternity this is essentially the language that they use and that's what john winthrop said now if the lord shall please to hear us and bring us in peace to the place we desire then he hath ratified this covenant and sealed our commission and of course to these people the lord is the us government if the us government brings us here then we've we've done the right thing and we will expect a strict performance of the articles contained in it now they don't believe that only there interpretation of the articles contained in it, right? That's all they believe in. They just believe in how they think it should be implemented. And if you don't follow that, then you violated the document. But if we shall neglect the observation of these articles, which are the ends we have propounded and dissembling with our God shall fail to embrace this present world and prosecute our carnal intentions, seeking great things for ourselves and our posterity, the Lord will surely break out in wrath against us. Be revenged of such a sinful people and make us know the price of the breaches of such a co- covenant. So if they don't do this, I mean, the wrath to them is not God. These aren't, I mean, look, Omar is, is Muslim, so I think she's devoutly Muslim. But I'm not so certain about the other people on up there. But the fact is, uh, they don't worry about that. What they worry about is the wrath of, of the voters. The, the religion to them is democracy or the wrath of the media. That's religion to them. It's a civic religion. That's the wrath they worry about. And to them, what they're doing is religious in nature. We have to reform because we have these principles that are, that are from government. Uh, and th- these platitude slogans, they don't really mean anything. But this is a civic religion. These are political Puritans. And if you don't do it, if you're not falling in line, then you are damned for eternity. You are a heretic You are deplorable. And we know that because that's exactly what John Winthrop essentially said next. Now, the only way to avoid this shipwreck and to provide for our posterity is to follow the counsel of Micah, to do justly, to love mercy, to walk humbly with our God. Walk humbly with, now. these people aren't humble. No one ever say that Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez is humble. But for this end, we must be knit together in this work as one man we must entertain each other in brotherly affection. So think about that. Now Cortez essentially said that and I'm going to I'm going to use her language. She said this, we must knit together as one man. We must be one people with one common goal and that goal is these platitudes of this civic religion. And if you don't do that, again, you're a heretic. We must be willing to abridge ourselves of our superfluities for the supply of others' necessities. We must be communists, in other words. We must uphold a familiar commerce together in all meekness, gentleness, patience, and liberality. We must delight in each other and make others' conditions our own, rejoice together, mourn together, labor and suffer together, always having before our eyes our commission and community in the work as members of the same body. So shall we keep the unity of the spirit and the bond of peace, the Lord will be our God and delight to dwell among us as his own people and will command a blessing upon us in all our ways so that we shall see much more of his wisdom, power, goodness, and truth than formerly we have been acquainted with. We shall find that God, that the God of Israel is among us when ten of us shall be able to resist a thousand of our enemies, when ten, so four shall resist a thousand of our enemies. All right. so here the four stand up. We're resisting our enemies, the deplorables. When he shall make us a praise and glory that men shall say of succeeding plantations, the Lord will make it like that of New England. For he must consider that we shall be as a city upon a hill. The eyes of all people are upon us. Wait, I've seen that before. The eyes of history is watching us. The eyes of all people are upon us. These are the political Puritans. And it's dangerous. Because you see, the Puritans weren't content with just having New England as their own domain and making New England like they wanted. They wanted to remake the rest of America in their view. And if you didn't get along with it, you die. You see, this is the Puritan mentality. You have to be eliminated. The political Puritanism, this is why I don't understand why people even have any affection for the New England Puritans whatsoever. They shouldn't, because they're extremely dangerous. On the other hand, You have the right saying the same. Look, Reagan openly used City Upon a Hill. He openly used it. So what that says is their their view of America, nation, top-down, one-size-fits-all, was going to apply to everybody else. On the outside looking in, you have people like me. An Orthodox American politico is saying, we have federalism, we have think locally, act locally. If you want to destroy California with your stupidity, go to it. If you want to have a 90% tax rate in New York and you want to make it to where New York is impoverished entirely, like Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez wants to do, have at it. If you want to make Minnesota, remake Minnesota in the image of, take your pick of whatever country, maybe, you know, Omar from Somalia, that's what she wants it to be, go to it. But don't expect everyone else in America to get on board with that. That's where orthodox American politics works. Federalism works think locally, act locally, works. The problem is we have two sides fighting over who's going to be the most Puritan among them. The eyes of history is one. People don't even realize where they get these phrases from. It's just ridiculously stupid. The eyes of all people are upon us, so that if we shall deal falsely with our God in this work we have undertaken, and so cause him to withdraw his present help from us, We shall be made a story and a byword throughout the world. We shall open the mouths of enemies to speak evil of the ways of God. For them, God is the United States. For the ways of the United States and all professors, for the United States' sake, we shall assume the faces of many of the United States' worthy servants and cause their prayers to be turned into curses upon us till we be consumed out the good land, whether we are are a-going. So if you don't follow this, I mean, think about how these people phrase, the world is watching us, the the people in the world don't like us anymore. (gasps) So what? So what? This is Puritanism at its lowest form. Now, Ocasio-Cortez said something that was rather interesting as well, when she said, quote, No matter what this president says, this country belongs to you and it belongs to everyone. Where? Right? So you're in New York. That means Alabama belongs to you. That means California belongs to you. That means North Dakota belongs to you. That means Minnesota. You're a representative from a borough in New York where you only got about 8% of the people to show up to vote for you. This country doesn't belong to you. You're part of a borough of New York. But this is the one people myth of American history being foisted on everybody else. Um, And that's where, that's where uh, these people, that's where John Marshall was so dangerous. Now, John Marshall wasn't a Puritan, but he was an American nationalist. And so you have this mix of American nationalism and then this Puritanism, and it creates a great big monster That's extremely destructive. Now, again, Ocasio-Cortez can do whatever she wants in New York. She can she can put forward her best efforts uh, in in promoting New York, but the world is not New York. America is not New York, and a lot of people don't want to live in New York, and they don't want New York forced upon them. People don't live in Minnesota or California. This is the issue. This is why people want federalism. At the end of the day, it's why federalism works, because we don't have to be governed by Minnesota or New York. But John Marshall, of course, made this stuff when he said, look, we have one people, one nation. Joseph Story did this. I mean, this is this is the nationalist argument. And if you have that. um, Then this creates this type of of language. Uh, Omar also said every single statement that we make is from a place of extreme love for every single person in this country. It is. Are you sure? You sure about that? Now, one of the things that's also interesting about this, the America that the Puritans loved and that moving forward that new, that new England reformists love, was not the America in which they lived. It was America that existed only in their head. And because it existed only in their head, they always had to strive to make that America a reality. They don't like a real, tangible America. they don't like. because, I mean, Michelle Obama stands up for the first time, I'm proud of my country. The America she loved didn't exist. This is part of progressive Puritanism. You have this religion, a civic religion, and if it doesn't meet these slogans, platitudes, and dogmas, well, then it doesn't really exist, and so you're going to try to make legislation if everyone fits that. The city upon a hill, you have to agree with these things, and if you don't, you're a heretic and you're destroyed. They don't really love everyone in America. They love the people that like them. Uh, if, because if they loved everyone in America, they would tolerate differences of opinion. They would tolerate the fact that not everyone wants to live like them and that they shouldn't legislate like that. They would tolerate those things. I tolerate those things. I tolerate the fact that you want to have what you want in Minnesota, go to it. If you want to have what you want in California, go to it. If you want to have what you want in New York, go to it. That's tolerance. That's real tolerance. But don't say that the people of another state have to live like you. That's, again, think locally, act locally. If these people really did love everyone in America, they would be tolerant of diverse political views, of diverse views about how society should be organized and governed. There aren't any national principles other than, really, federalism. I mean, this is what it comes down to. This was the unifying theme of the founding generation. We may not get along in all these things, but we're going to form a union, and that union is going to be tolerant of the diverse views within it. And because it's tolerant of those diverse views, when Massachusetts was going to ratify the Constitution, this was brought up. Hey, we're going to be in a union with slaveholders. I don't know if we like that. And the sale, the the way it was sold is, all right, look, I understand. We don't like slavery in Massachusetts. Of course, uh, at that point, slavery had not yet been eradicated in Massachusetts. We don't like slavery in Massachusetts, but you know what? This is a general government. It doesn't mean that we have to have slavery in Massachusetts it just means that they're going to have slavery down there in the South, and that'll be fine. They can just have it there. We don't have to worry about it here. Uh, now, of course, there are a lot of Massachusetts making money on the slave trade, so that was left open. So they were good with that. But the fact that slavery existed in America, you know, that was okay. They could tolerate those differences. But you see, the Puritan can't do that. The Puritan can't tolerate any differences. And I'm just using that as example. We, we don't example. We don't want slavery back, but the Puritan can't tolerate any differences. The Puritan can't tolerate that there might be people that don't think like them, because they they have to be that that messes up the entire groove of Puritanism. So, the the Puritan strain that has infiltrated American society from the left and the right is highly dangerous to a peaceful political coexistence. And I say this because you know the the what's so called alt right and all these all these groups. Uh, they're the same way. they want to destroy the other side. You can't get along with them, you have to destroy them. The, the counter to that is federalism and think locally act locally. That's the counter to all of this. If you want peace in America between these political groups, they're both highly dangerous because they're all they're both nationalist. They both want to destroy the other side. That's not what you want. You want peaceful coexistence because the union does have benefits. At least ostensibly tangi I mean theoretically it has benefits if we don't destroy our currency and cause all kinds of problems. The union could have benefits, right? But if it doesn't have any benefits, I mean this is what Calhoun said. Well the union next to our liberty most here, I mean, if if we're not if the union's not preserving our liberty, then what who cares? Right? It has no benefit anymore. So if the union has benefits, if say common defense is a benefit, not common offense against every other power in the world, but common defense, if an economic free trade zone is a benefit, not uh, an economic free trade zone where they regulate everything you do, and of course destroy the currency. That's not a benefit. But if those things were tangible benefits, then the union has the union has strength. But at the end of the day, uh, in that union, you would have diversity. I'm all for diversity, political diversity, whatever. You I mean look, then just have federalism. Have federalism. That would allow people of different beliefs. To coexist peacefully in different states. You can vote if you don't want to be in New York and a 90% tax rate when Cortez and others like her get their hands on and they're doing it. Then move out of New York. And people are doing it. They're leaving New York. They're leaving New Jersey. They're leaving California. There's a net decrease in population in California right now. People are getting out of that horrible place. And they're moving to Texas. Now, if you want to live in the Democratic Republic of California, the People's Republic of California, go move there and go live there. All you want. You can get all of that you want. Same thing with New York. You want to live there. Go live there. And there's people that are not in favor of the high taxes, but they live in New York because they love the services and, and the environment of New York City, for example. And this is true. So if you want to live in that, go live in it. I choose not to. A lot of people choose not to. And so we shouldn't be... Forced to live like we're in New York. At the end of the day, that's what it, Cortez's worldview is New York. She thinks everything is New York, and so it has to be New York, or everything is California, or everything is Minnesota. It's amazing that all these people are from these places that. <laughs> Uh, you know, north of the Mason-Dixon, and, and uh, out the Midwest. I mean, I guess you say Minnesota is the Midwest, but she's from a urban area of, the, of uh, Minnesota. So we don't we don't live in cities, all of us. We don't want to live like we're in a city. We don't like cities. But political Puritanism is a major issue in American politics. It, it, the Progressives have been doing this for a long time. Make America where it fits within the confines of your mind. This is Thoreau's. Uh, this is the transcendentalists. I mean, these are the reformers. We have to make America this way because we have these platitude slogans and every and it has to fit that. And if it doesn't fit that, then uh, then you have to then, then we're gonna have to make you do that. The Puritans insisted that you had to live like them, particularly in Massachusetts, or you weren't allowed there. I mean, they banished people. That's the most it's the most intolerant ideology there is. The most intolerant Ideology. These people, these four squad, are intolerant. They are intolerant of anyone who doesn't think like them. They're intolerant. And I think that they need to be called out for it. They are intolerant people. And so we should start calling these people the political Puritans because um, I don't think there's any other way to describe them. Call yourself an Orthodox American politico- if you believe in federalism, um, you believe in the founding principles of federalism, which is clearly, if you look at all the information, this is what the founding generation to a man believed in, um, with, the, with a few exceptions, a few major exceptions, you know, Marshall, Wilson, Morris, Hamilton. But regardless, um, this is what we should be calling these people out for and calling them intolerant. You are intolerant. You don't want me to exist. You are intolerant of other views. Now, by the way, Trump's insistence that, you know, we we should, uh, if you don't like this country, get out. I mean, look, that's a, what an odd endorsement of secession, right? I mean, so if you don't like it, just leave. Okay. Can we take a whole state? How about California? Can we just boot California out? California not being in the union would, would benefit the United States tremendously. But, I digress. So I hope you enjoyed this episode of The Brian McClanahan Show. I will see you next time.